for all podcast. This is comedian Nazareth, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for subscribing to our podcast. This is episode number 100, people. 100 weeks we've been with you. Think about it. Before the pandemic, BC, before coronavirus, before all of this, we've been with you guys, and uh, it's just amazing that you are still with us and subscribing. Well, it's not amazing because, you know, this is a good podcast. <laughs> we made it to number 22 on the top stand-up comedy. So it's, uh, but what I'm saying is thank you so much. If it weren't for you, it wouldn't mean anything for me to sit and talk to you for an hour or have my friends and my guests come for an hour. We do this for you. Normally we do, uh, most of the time we get comedians because it's called Laughter for All. But uh, once in a while, we bring people that can impact your life and can change your life and can help your life. And tonight will be no exception. In a few minutes, I'm going to invite my accountability pastor, the man that I used to open up to once a month and just pour everything, my sins, my faults, my failures, who I really am. And this man lovingly beat me up and smacked me on the face every single time. But uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful godly man. I'm going to introduce him in a little bit. But um, uh, for now, I just want to say uh, this show is sponsored by Professional Botanicals, which is the vitamins that I've was a guinea pig that I used for a long time on, you know, on the air and try them for several weeks to prove if they really work, they really mean what they say. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm sold out on them. My energy is still very high using them. I'm clarity is better. I'm very focused. And at the same time, uh, what do you call it? My inflammation is less and less. So I'm really, really believing what these people are saying. So that's uh, that's where I'm at with this one. And right now, I, I don't want to eat any longer. I'm going to bring my friend, Pastor Randy. And Pastor Randy is going to be on audio with us because something is not working with the camera, even though we tried it this morning and everything worked. But he is a beautiful man. You have to take my word on it because uh, we might not be able to see the picture. But let me introduce him officially. Uh, Dr. Randy Christian, he came to the Lord in the Jesus movement in the late 60s and early 70s. The Lord changed him from an alcoholic, drug-using, violent teen on the brink of suicide and forgave him and cleaned him up. Randy has served his king since then nearly 50 years. He holds a doctoral degree in ministry from Fuller Seminary. Randy has been privileged to serve in many different pastoral roles in small, medium, and large churches, as well as a family support center. He has specialized in teaching scriptures, strengthening disciples, and supporting families. He has been a police chaplain, professional counselor, author, professor, and now the founder of the Essential Faith Project. The mission of the Essential Faith Project is to assist the church in making, assisting, and strengthening disciples. Randy and his wife Donna has been married 47 years and have three children and 11 grandchildren. They live outside Fort Worth, Texas, where Randy leads with Essential Faith Project and has a practice in pastoral counseling. So please welcome to our podcast, Dr. Randy Christian. How are you, brother? 
Hello, buddy. Uh, right now, I'm going crazy because I'm trying to get this camera working. But, I know. Uh, it might work. It might work. If you close Zoom, it might work. It's closed. Oh, okay. That's, well, that's at, uh, we can hear you. And remember, this is a podcast. This this whole seeing one another is a is an extra bonus. The, the show is audio. And most of the people who download it around the world and subscribe and listen are never see the the thing but we have friends here that are watching and uh welcome to the show thank you for taking the time well thanks for having me buddy i appreciate it well uh, let me start with this um you when you lived in california which you moved how long has it been since you left california pastor um about a little over two years a little over two years and before that you were the the senior pastor at north orange church in uh, orange california and uh, you were, you know, I, you almost died on us. I remember you went through this sickness where you literally died, almost died on us. You were not, you're not supposed to be alive, but you're alive today. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, well, like everybody, I'm subject to the curse. Uh, one of the curses I'm subject to is finances. So I served a church in Orange. But like you, I lived in Corona. And uh, for all of the people listening who are familiar with Southern California, um, I commuted on 91 back and forth every day with a couple hundred thousand of my closest friends. And realized <laughs> yeah. I could do that cheaper and faster on a motorcycle. So after 27 years, since the last time I was on one, I got back on a motorcycle and... Uh, I commuted for, well, all told for 15 years. But uh, in December of 2014, I had just returned from uh, the church services and the lunch afterwards and was almost into our subdivision in Green River. And uh, a gentleman who really, really needed to have Jack in the Box um, cut across my lane clipped me. I was only going seven miles an hour. And um, long story short, I shattered my leg. Um, so I'm laying in the street, kind of wondering where the Lord's going to take that. And um, within a week, I had my leg rebuilt. And in that surgery, they just pumped me full of fluids, which is what they do. And uh, normally, after a month or two, they're all worked out of your system and everything's good my swelling never went down in my legs, uh, both of them, the one that was injured and the other one. So after 10 months of uh, three months in a wheelchair and then learning how to walk again and then getting back into shape, um, then all of a sudden one of my doctors decides, hey, that's really weird. We ought to refer you and figure out what's going on. So they sent me to a nephrologist um, they did tests and I was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer, um, one for which there is no cure and which eventually is terminal. Um, mm. So I shared that with my congregation. And uh, at the time, I had no idea what was going to happen. I just knew, you know, it wasn't a good thing for me physically. But to be honest with you, even even to this day, I've never prayed for healing. 
You I'm never not... pray for, wait, wait, wait. You never pray for healing. No, never have. Why not? Um, I don't know that it's particularly important. What? Show me somewhere in the Bible where Paul prays for healing. Show Didn't me somewhere in the Bible where anybody who is injured or sick prays for healing. So I, I just said, you know what? This is in the Lord's hands, but I want to be faithful. So I'm going to die. I don't know when. And I told my congregation, you know, I'm going to die. And I said, now don't get cocky because I may still bury some of you before I do <laughs> I'm sorry, this is not funny, but it's funny. I'm going to bury well, some of you before I die. The ironic thing is I was right, because I did. Uh -huh. But um, I, I, my prayer has always been, Lord, please, just whatever I'm in, let me be faithful to you. Whatever happens, uh -huh. let me be faithful. Uh, now, I'm not going to say there weren't a lot of other people praying for my healing. And I never told them they, they should stop, in, including you. You're yeah, I was praying for you, but I didn't know you were praying for you weren't praying. Didn't Paul say take this uh what whatever it was? I th I think it was a physical uh Well, he said take the thorn. Nobody knows what the thorn was. Right. But the bottom line is Jesus said no. So, okay, then we're back to that. So, right. <laughs> in the end, I mean, I I did promise my wife that I would fight. Um that I would I would not take lightly the gift that the Lord has given me in my marriage, my kids, um, my years of being able to serve him. So because I was so strong, it, it, the effects of the disease uh, were very minimal. Um, I had been diagnosed, and this is the part I think you referred to as miraculous, because normally you, you find out you have this disease right about the same time they're telling you how many months you have. Mm. Um, the median uh, mortality rate is 18 months after diagnosis. Uh, I was diagnosed in November, first week of November of 2015. Mm -hmm. So it's been almost six years now. Um, and, and I told my wife, I told Donna, you know, I, I will fight. Um, so the doctors said, here's what we want to do. You're strong enough. We've never had a patient. We caught this early. So we want to hit you with the, the hardest, strongest treatment we can and try to wipe it out. And so I went into the City of Hope and uh, had uh, what people call bone marrow transplant, which is actually a hematologic stem cell transplant. They don't... Mm -hmm drill into your bones and suck marrow out anymore. They just take the stem cells out of your, uh, your blood. And the way they do that is on one day, they give you a dose of chemo. I had one bag. Uh, I knew I was in trouble when I looked down the hallway. I was on the end of one of the wards on uh, the City of Hope. They've got uh, two full floors of nothing but stem cell transplant patients. And each floor with two different wings. Um, I was on the end of one of them. And all of a sudden, all the nurses stations closed up and they closed the doors on all the patients' rooms. Wow. And this couple of, of people come down the hallway in hazmat suits, full hazmat suits. 
pushing a cart. And they keep coming until they come into my room. And then they open the cart, still in their hazmat suits, mind you, and they pull <laughs> out uh, the, the substance um, and they shoot this into the port because I had a direct port line. There. Yes, yes. Uh. And uh, straight into my body, <laughs> the stuff that they were so scared of themselves. And I was, <laughs> I'm, I was sorry, told, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to laugh about it. I was later told by one of my uh, oncologists that they gave me one of the worst meaning most powerful chemo drugs uh, that the FDA has approved and the absolute heaviest dose the FDA ever allows, uh, which is somewhere between 10 and 15,000 times what a normal chemo infusion is when you go in on a weekly basis for cancer. So, you know, the idea, uh, again, hit me as hard as they can and boy, they did that. Um, so I was able to fight it. Um, I almost died three times from the treatment, not the disease. Um, I still have permanent damage done to a number of areas of my body uh, because of the, uh, the chemo, the, just the potency of it. But I am in remission and have been um, since coming out of the hospital. Um, so I'm told that if I live long enough and I don't get killed by something else, then uh, this will probably come back and kill me. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just asking the Lord to let me have a heart attack or something else first. <laughs> wow. So I don't have to go through that again. So what, what we're hearing right now for those if, or watching, um, uh, listen, I just want to say something in the chat. This chat uh, on the podcast is for asking questions and comments for Dr. Randy. Uh, we do a show at night called The Live with Naz, and that's when we laugh and we, we do all these comments. So uh, so my qu what I'm trying here to let me summarize what's going on here. Uh, you did not pray to be healed, and they told you you're going to die, but you're still alive five years later. Well, yeah. yeah, they said this would kill me uh, if if they weren't able to do something, but that they had no, they had a treatment but no cure. Mm -hmm. But here's here's the really cool thing that the Lord did. I would never have known about this disease until it had developed and taken over the organs of my body, which is how it kills people, mm -hmm. unless that. 26-year-old kid just really needed jack-in-the-box that bad and turned across me right into me and shattered my leg. You know, that's part of a miracle, Pastor, but I'll tell you why. We, we are praying right now for a three-year-old, Stella, which is her dad, was a friend of mine. And I just, she swallowed a quarter by, by mistake. And when they took her to Oregon, where you're originally from, to Portland, to do the, the ultrasound to see where the quarter is, they found tumors on her spine. And now mm -hmm. they're operating on it. So it's just sometimes God allows something. You think it's bad, but it happens. Uh, right. Uh, right. right. But I want to go back to your early life. You 
you know, I mean, we we know each other. You told me a lot. You're from uh, what do you call it, uh, West Virginia. You were an angry teen. You no, 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 no. You have a martial arts. I don't arts. know about West Virginia, okay. but no, okay. I grew up as an Air Force brat. Okay. So my wife and I both traveled around. Anybody uh, out there that's a military brat knows what that's like. You spend two to three years somewhere, and then your dad comes home and says, we're moving to so-and-so, and, -and, -so, and uh, in inevitably someplace you've never heard of. And you do. And you, you frequently lose all the friends that you've ever had because, um, at least in, in our lives, we never had that continuation. So it was, it was a way of kind of recreating isolation over and over and over and over. So I, um, I moved to Nebraska, and then my father retired from the Air Force outside of SAC headquarters in Bellevue, Nebraska. So I was blessed to be able to stay junior high and senior high in the same place. Um, but the problem with that blessing is I'd already, I started drinking when I was 11, when we first moved there. Wow. And so I had already gotten into some very, very bad patterns. And um, by the time I was 16, um, I was an alcoholic. Um, I used any drugs that anybody would give me. I mean, we would literally throw pills in a hat and then pass the hat and just grab whatever and see what we could uh, come off with. Um, and you got to remember, this is back in the uh, early 70s, the, the youth movement, the Vietnam era, uh, there was uh, just an amazing cultural upheaval going on. Um, my family life pretty much didn't exist as a kid. Mm. And so, um, you know, I, I just kept looking for something else. Um, I was very violent. <clears throat> I was actually uh, training for the U.S. judo team, uh, the Olympic judo team for uh, mm. Uh, the 76 Olympics. Um, I was extremely good. And, um, but my life was horrible. <laughs> and uh, it culminated one day when uh, I just, you know, I kept hearing from a high school teacher, any of you teachers out there uh, who teach adolescents, please never do this to kids. Um, because he kept telling all the high school kids, these are the best years of your life. And I remember thinking, you know what? If this is as good as it gets, who needs it? Mm. Uh, now, again, I didn't know the Lord. My family wasn't Christian. Um, I, I did have people, because of my name, people in the Jesus movement would not leave me alone. <laughs> Randy Christian, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it was like, to them, it was a challenge. <laughs> And so I, I, I knew the claims of the gospel, um, and I did, I did attempt suicide. Um, I have since specialized in suicide intervention and working with families post-suicide. Um, and I can tell you, if anybody, uh, anybody thinks that somebody who attempts suicide um, half-heartedly is just messing around, um, boy, or have you got it wrong. Most people who kill themselves first attempted half-heartedly basically to see if anybody gives a rip. 
Mm. And when they find out nobody does, then the real one comes and it's too late. Can uh, I stop? The, I want to hear the rest of the story, how you got, you know, where you were. Uh, you are just uh, the an encouragement. If people can read, uh, you know, uh, in between the lines, here's a young man that was angry, into drugs, alcoholic at 16, doing drugs, uh, you know, attempting suicide. And God just saved him, made him a pastor, made him a, a, a you know, a, work with mental health as a mental health professional, all that. Uh, what do you think? Nowadays, there's a sense of pandemic, Pastor Randy. There's yeah. a lot of people who are a lot of teenagers, 13, 14 year olds yeah. that are thinking about suicide. Seriously. Yeah. And some are attempting. What do you what do you think that why is that happening? And also what what advice do you have for for parents, for friends, for, you know, someone from the church that, how can we see those signs and help? Well, I, I can give you some general uh, guidance, but let's remember uh, every human being is unique. Everybody's story is unique. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be careful about one size fits all responses. But the, the, the bottom line is that people don't just commit suicide because they're depressed. You know, we think we can alleviate a depression and that'll take care of it. Well, frequently uh, you alleviate the depression and it makes them more suicidal. That's why there's these labels on all of these antidepressants. We've got to be very careful of that. Mm. In my case, I literally didn't believe there was anything worth living for. And I think that's where most kids come down to. They're, They're stuck in a perspective that we may not be able to see. We can't see through their eyes. But through their eyes, their, their faith, if, if they're in this position, their faith is not strong enough to carry them. Maybe it doesn't even exist. I don't know. Mm. Um, but they're seeing life as hopeless. So what we need to do is come alongside them and show them hope. That's what happened with me, is some people came alongside me and showed me that the things that were were destroying me did not have to rule my life. And when I gave my life to the king, he took care of those things. He washed me. And uh, there's been no suicidality since then. But not everybody see, not everybody gets that. With a pandemic, what's made it worse, there's there's several things. But the isolation is the most obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are, are isolated from the very people who might be able to come alongside them and offer this hope. And so, you know, what, are, what do we think they're going to do? And, and the answer is they're going to just spiral down. So we have to break through the isolation. So uh, as we discussed earlier, this isn't a political thing. Um, trust me, folks. I'm not political. Um, I don't believe in the Democratic or the Republican parties. I think they're both worldly and evil. Um, I've preached that for years. But we have to be willing as Christians to break through isolation and come alongside people. That's what Paul told us that we're supposed to be doing, 2 Corinthians in the first chapter that the Holy Spirit does for us. He comes alongside. That's the, the meaning of the word paraclete. 
So we do the same thing. We take that comfort that God has given us, the hope that he's given us, and then we come alongside others and let them see that hope. See, we don't have to convince them of anything. I don't talk anybody out of killing themselves. Um, but I have worked with many, many suicidal people. Um, and, and I can tell you I've been blessed um, to see the Holy Spirit work in their lives and pull them back from the brink. Amen. Amen. Let's go. I don't know. Is that in that my, my head? head? I hear myself. Um, no. I'm not hearing an echo personally, but. Okay. okay. It's gone now. It's gone now. Oh, no. I can no, still I hear it, but that's. Let me ask you this. Uh, while we're at the, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit coming alongside, tell us about the Essential Faith Project that you God put in your heart and you birthed it. Tell us what is it about? What is it all about? Thank you. I would love to do that. Um, I left 45 years of pastoral ministry at the end of 2018 when I left the senior ministry of North Orange Christian Church in Orange. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, honestly, I, I kind of thought I would probably um, just go on and, and uh, be the preacher of another church. Um, what I found was, interestingly enough, search committees for churches really frown on candidates in their 60s with terminal cancer. So <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny, but that's, yeah, I can, I can, I don't know. I understand. Well, it, it did put a barrier up there. Um, right. I, I had some really cool interviews and then I would say, now, by the way, you do, you do understand my health situation. And they'd say, what? And I'd say, well, I have terminal cancer. Um, I have remission. I'm in remission, but, and then it is astounding how fast people can end a meeting. Um, and, and you just witness that happening. So within a few months, it became clear to us that the Lord was, um, closing doors. And so, okay. Now what, Lord? What, what do you want for me to do? I just want to be faithful. I want to be useful. And he's allowed me to serve him um, in a, just about every ministry role you could think of, um, including as a chaplain, as a police chaplain for years, as a licensed counselor, uh, as a seminary professor. Um, but the most profound ones are the local ministry, local church ministry. And so I was encouraged by a number of people from the congregation that I had just left, as well as uh, from a church that I had served for 15 years before that, to start a ministry where we provided resources. Because today, we are at a crossroads in the church in America, where we are deciding whether to accommodate ourselves to the world around us or mm. and, and by that by the way again i'm talking whether you're conservative or liberal it's happening in both camps so you know my favorite saying is if you're right wing or left wing you're on the wrong plane if you're christian mm. we're not to be caught up and entangled in those things and what happens is that we forget that the lord created us to make disciples um, and, and the church that I had served, we actually turned around and, and stopped uh, some amazing growth that was happening because we were just filling the seats. And I said to the elders, you know, 
does, does anybody here really believe we're effectively consistently making disciples? And nobody could say yes. So we turned that around and there weren't as many people, but those people could study the word. They, they prayed, they gave to the point where we actually had banks asking us uh, if they could refi our loans, uh, coming after a smaller church asking that. Uh, we had an amazing percentage of people involved in small group ministries and in uh, small groups uh, or, or in uh, service, I'm sorry. So my wife and I felt very, very strongly the Holy Spirit was leading us to begin a ministry, the purpose of which is to provide resources, not curriculum, by the way. So it doesn't matter what curricula a church is using. Our goal is to provide resources that can still be useful. Um, and the resources are for making, assessing, and strengthening disciples of Jesus. We focus on spiritual health. There are so many Christians who, for whatever reason, are simply not being trained in the basic essentials of Christianity, what we call the essentials. Historically, they've been called um, habits or uh, spiritual disciplines. Let me ask you this, Dr. Andy, before I uh, continue. And I know because this morning I was... Uh, um, in Matthew 28, and it says, uh, you know, it says, when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, it says that's, a, that's the only thing God asks us in the New Testament to do, is make disciples. Well, it's, uh, it's the umbrella of everything, yeah. The umbrella. Now, under that umbrella. What are these essentials of, like you say, uh, you know, so essential? They can be broken down. I mean, there's there's lists of 15 and two and whatever, and it just depends on how broadly you, you pull them together. Um, I use a paradigm of seven, but I cheat because I break two of them into two different ones. So there's actually nine. The first one, the most important is worship. Worship. And that's both individual worship and corporate worship. And if there's any of these that's more important than all the others, it's individual worship. Because otherwise, we get caught in the trap of thinking that somehow we can obligate God to love us or strengthen us by doing the right things. Legalism. Wow. <laughs> so we have to first understand what Paul meant when he talked about living sacrifice. When he said in Colossians, whatever you do, whether it's something you say or some action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to, uh, giving thanks through him. I'm sorry, moving on. Um, we have to be willing to bring every thought, every word, every action before the Lord and picture ourselves literally offering it to him as an act of worship. Now, if you can't picture what you're doing, being offered to him in the first place, you're gonna stop doing a lot of stuff real quick, right? Right, right. But even prayer, even Bible study, even service or giving, I'm not that good at that stuff. You're not that good at that stuff. It's, it's, it's not that God has us do that 
because he needs us to do it. See, we need it, Mm. but we need to be sure we're not thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. And therefore you have to do this. It's not about that at all. It's bringing these things to the Lord and saying, everything I am, Lord, belongs to you. He saved me all those years ago. From that moment on, everything else was gravy. That's why I don't worry about praying for healing. I actually, at times, have prayed the Lord would take me. I think I shared this with you. Um, Because let's be real. Who would rather be with Jesus? Right? Right. It's easier said for you. I know that if people, people who are listening right now, you know what? This is Dr. Randy. This is the guy I sit across from at Starbucks in Corona. You know, he's not exaggerating any of that. And I can't think of people who would say that other than him. Like, I, you know, I'd rather be with Jesus. I'm not going to pray for healing. And so, you know, sometimes I even, even myself, I, I mean, sometimes, you know, you do a great event and many people come forward to receive Christ and you, t- you help a homeless guy and you are being kind to people that are mean to you and you go, ow, well, Lord, you know, I think now we're ready for some payoff because you're not a debtor to man. I think a lot of us think that way. But what you're saying is like, okay, individual worship is just, it's not about us, you know, what we can do for God. It's already no, done. No, no, no. It's, it's about us taking our rightful place, right? Right. So, you know, there's a beautiful song. Unfortunately, it's, it's become known as a funeral song. There's a, a beautiful song I can only imagine, mm. right? And I love the song, um, but I have to disagree with the premise of it. I mean, I get it, but I have faced going to the Lord. I've been very, very close to death. And I can tell you, by the way, that the dying part is a drag. The, the Being dead is being with the Lord now, but... Getting there can be a real drag. So <laughs> I, I'm not taking that lightly. I get it. But I can tell you what's going to happen. I know when I appear before the Lord, I'm going to hit the dirt. Mm. I am going to be face down in front of him. And I don't know, it might take a couple thousand years for him to pry me off the ground and get me to, to, to look at him because I know who this is. I know what he's done for us. Mm. See, and that's the focus that we have to keep having. Now, if you have that, by the way, just, you know, we've got to be careful because like my wife got really mad at me when I told her I was praying the Lord would take me. And she said, you, you're, you're asking him to take you away from me. And I said, no, I was praying he would take you too. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> So we got to be careful about, you know, what we say to those people around us, right? So the, the, the most important of the essentials is worship. This, is, this worship. is who we are. This is the natural response of God's creation to God. And it's individual. It's moment to moment every day. But it's also gathering together. We need that. And uh, when I served in California, um, I had never faced the phenomenon of people thinking that if they come to corporate worship once a month, they're really steady and faithful. Um, That was bizarre to me. Um, It doesn't work that way. We need it 
more often than that. I mean, even weekly can be weak. But mm. I think everybody after the pandemic would have to agree how much we need that, right? right. So worship, prayer, talking to God, not just a specific time, but constantly talking to the Lord and bringing the Lord into our lives and, and sharing our joys with him, sharing our sorrows, asking what he wants us to do, asking for help when we're tempted, when we're not, when we're not doing things well, or when we're over our heads, which is frequently. So let me let me get. Oh, we're still. I don't want to run too fast. Those seven or almost nine. These are the essentials of faith. Number one is worship, individual and corporate. Number two is prayer, constant right. prayer with the Lord. Because right. I want people to know. Some people. This is a people. What we're going through right now is basic Christianity. Simple. Yeah. Because some people now add stuff. They say, uh, listen, if you don't vote for this candidate, you're not a Christian. If you don't support this government, you're not a Christian. If you don't believe in this, the, you're not a Christian. And right now we're giving you the basic, basic Christianity. Right. If you're a new believer or you've been a believer for so many years, this is it. So we'll start number one, worship, individual and corporate. It's number two, prayer const constantly. And what's the third one? Yeah. And, and for the record, just um, I, I don't want to get into semantics, but I, I don't refer to these as the essentials of faith. Uh, they are the essentials of spiritual health. Spiritual this, health. This I'm sorry. God okay. built us to be healthy spiritually. OK. Um, but like physically, we've fallen. And we don't provide the, the very things that God provided for us to have. So um, like my wife has a green thumb. Okay, um, you go outside our house here in Fort Worth now, and uh, she took this place that had overgrown and ratty and weedy, and it's it's astounding. Uh, people come by and comment on it, and you know she just she loves it. Wow. In the first few years of our marriage, she would bring plants to my office, <laughs> and every three months or so, she would replace them. She would take the dead ones out and bring you know new ones in. And then three months later, she'd take those dead ones out and bring new ones. She, after a couple of years, she finally figured out that she was simply facilitating the death of these plants. Right? <laughs> Bringing them to your That's office. She quit doing that. But the reason is real simple. God created those plants to thrive when certain things were there for those plants. Air, water, certain temperatures, certain amount certain uh, way of delivery for the water, uh, soil, the right amount, the right nutrients, um, air temperature, um, all of these things, um, and protection from uh, outside injury, of course. But when those things are there, the plant grows, not because we provided those things, because I can provide the same things to a rock and three months later, I've got a dead, a, a wet, dirty rock, right? That's a great analogy, right? So we're, we were created by the same God. And he wants us to be strong spiritually. He's given us the ways to do this. But in America, the reason I call these essentials instead of uh, habits or disciplines is because 
we have begun to see these as optional. Mm. We even think of discipleship as a higher level of Christianity. You know, you become a Christian, you get grow up saved, and then um, later maybe I'll be a disciple. I've actually had people tell me this. And, and biblically, that's nonsense. Christian equals disciple. So the only question is, are you a sick one or a healthy one? Mm. Now, God, God gave us worship. He doesn't need our worship. I mean, C.S. Lewis said, for, for us to think that God needs our worship and prayer is like me taking my latest book out to my backyard and asking my dog to bark its approval. You know, God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship God. Things happen in our life when we do that. God does not need prayer, but God is our father. Now, I have three kids and 11 grandkids. And I absolutely love it when they talk to me. Absolutely love it. Um, I, I will just be, be anywhere they want me to be to hear what's going on, even though I may already know. Mm. See, prayer is about relationship, not the request. Jesus said he knows what we need way before we ask him. Amen. But, and he wants us to have that relationship with him. The, the third of the essentials is Bible study. And Bible study is not just reading, and it's absolutely not opening the Bible to some random place, reading a passage and saying, uh, you know, to me this means, because frankly, we're generally all wet. It's, it's asking what did the Holy Spirit mean when he inspired this to be written? And study... The word, by the way, that's translated study means exert effort. So um, for those of us who wish that we didn't have to study, I get that. But that's not the way the Holy Spirit put it together. So we need to read. Yes, absolutely. So we know what it says. And by the way, for those people who are challenged reading, um, we know more about this today with learning disabled or disabilities and reading disabilities. Um, I, I have three different versions of the Bible on my phone. Mm. I can listen to, you know, anytime I want, any part of the Bible. And I have found that um, the first year I moved here, I listened to the Bible two and a half times, just walking in the mornings, just mm. listening to it as I walked. So we, we can know what it says easily, but what does it mean? So, for example... In, in Matthew 7, 1, Jesus said, don't judge, because you're going to get judged. Okay, That's paraphrase. Judge not, lest you be judged. But in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us that we're supposed to judge each other. And he chose the church in Corinth out for not judging. And by the way, it's the same word. So does the Holy Spirit contradict himself? Well, there's people who think they do, that he does. But a little bit of study looking into the context will show that Jesus was talking about judging somebody's worth as a person where mm. Paul was simply talking about, listen, if he's shacking up with his stepmother, you should say something. It's kind of obvious, you know, and you're not doing him any good letting him do that and thinking that it's okay. So, Bible study is how we not just read it, but actually study. 
we we look up the words. So you're a husband, right? Yes. Yes. In Ephesians 5.25, the Holy Spirit through Paul says you're supposed to do something. Do you know offhand? Yes. Yes. What is that? Love your Love wife as the Christ loved the church. Exactly. Now, here's the problem. Paul did not say love. The English language didn't exist. So, you know, the problem, see, is we have people who will read that and then substitute whatever they think the word love means. And if you go to one of those thick Websters, you're going to find like 20 or 30 different definitions minimum. And they're going to pick their favorite, plug it in, and say, see, I'm attracted to my wife. Well, no, it doesn't say that. It's a Greek word, and most people know what it is. Agapao, or the noun form agape. And it means to do whatever is best for the other person, regardless of how you feel. Wow. Husbands, do whatever is best for the other person, for your wife, regardless of how you feel, as Christ loved the church and gave himself. How did he give himself? A little cross-referencing will say he died, right? Yes. So we're told, by the way, to submit to our wives. And this is another part of that Bible study that people don't tend to do. Ephesians 5.22, the word submit is not there. It says, wives to your own husbands. But if you see, if you look up the word submit, you're going to find the translators added it in. Now, they weren't nefarious. They weren't being evil. They got it from the sentence before when Paul says to everyone, submit to one another. Okay, And then he says the next sentence, wives to your own husbands, as to the Lord. And then he tells wives why. They didn't need to know how. They've been trained to do that. But they did need to know if I'm equal to him now spiritually, why do I need to do that? So Paul explains that. Then in 525, he comes to husbands who have not been trained to submit. And he tells us how. Do whatever is best for your wife until you're dead. Now, how am I, as an, for example, a new believer, understand all that when they're just starting to learn? Well, this is why this is why the Holy Spirit gave the gift of teaching to people. See, new believers aren't supposed to be able to do all this on their own. Those of us who are more mature have two responsibilities to those new believers. The first, it's, it's like a baby, okay? When a, a baby is born, you don't set the baby in the corner of the delivery room and say, have a nice life. Right? Right. Pick that baby up. I've watched you with your youngest. I was around when she was born, and you nurtured her. The first thing you did is gave her everything she needed. So we have to provide that teaching for them. But I'm going to go out on the limb and say that your daughter today is not at risk of breaking into this podcast, screaming to you that you haven't fed her today and you need to feed her. (laughs) They still do, unfortunately. No, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Give me stuff. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you're right. We teach them not only... We, we not only give them the food, but we teach them how to feed themselves. That's what making disciples is about. If we don't do that, then we're not making disciples. We're, we're cutting the corners and putting people in danger. So Bible study, by the way, doesn't stop there. 
what does it what does it say? What does it mean? And then so what? I was taught that three word three question uh, paradigm by one of my mentors, a guy named Don Hinkle, who's in the uh, in an empire um, 45 years ago. And so we can we can read it. That's what it says. We can study it. That's what it means. Not what does it mean to me? It's not subjective. What does it mean? Mm. And then the third question is, so what? So the way you answer that will be different than me because Maha is not Donna. Right. So you're, you're to do whatever's best for her, but you have to know her to do that, right? Right. So you're going to tune that in. And then I'm going to do the same with my wife. And when we've done those three questions, that's when we can say we've studied the Bible. That's the third of the essentials. The fourth is service. Service. See, Jesus said, if you want to be great, you learn how to serve everyone. And he illustrated that by cleaning their feet. And that was not symbolic. I've never taken part in a foot washing ceremony because every time somebody suggested I do, they all came with their feet clean. <laughs> you know? In the Middle East, their, their feet stunk. Mm -hmm. Right? It's an arid, uh, arid, I mean, you know. And not only did they not have the hygiene we have, but they did not sit at a table like Michelangelo's picture. <laughs> they laid down at a board on the floor. So my feet would be like very close to the uh, face of somebody about three people down. And right. if I don't wash those feet coming in, his meal experience is going to be heavily impacted. <laughs> that is true. I never thought of it That's that way. You're right. So Jesus... Jesus did this grungy, stinky, gross thing that everybody in the room agreed he was the only one that shouldn't have had to do that. But he did it. And he said, now, you call me Lord and Master, and you're right. You go and do what I've done. Serve each other. Now, I've divided that a little bit into internal, which is serving within the body of Christ using our gifts and serving one another, but also external. We've got to be careful because, I mean, how can we think of Jesus and the body of Christ as being self-centered? So we're here to serve the world as well and, and to let the world be reconciled to Jesus. So service has got to be both in the body and outside the body. Then there's relationships. And I'm an absolute believer, by the way, and have been for literally since the first week or two of my, after my conversion of small groups. We, you're, you're not going to make close relationships, even in a worship service of 100 people, because your focus is on worship and, and expressing that to God, not getting to know each other. You know, mm. And so we need to make sure that we take the time to get to know each other. Each of us should have people in our lives that are of a similar level of maturity or higher mm. so that we can just be real. You and I you have talked about our meetings uh, and that wasn't one way. We've, we've both been pretty real with each other at different times. 
And then we stop and we pray before we leave. Right. And we ask the Lord to help each of us to be able to deal with these things and be faithful to him. Right. We need that's that. number that's five, number right? right? Yeah. And God, God built us for that community. Number six is tithing. Tithing. And yes, I said tithing, not giving. I'm a believer in tithing. Um, people will say, well, wait a minute, that's part of the Old Testament law. We're not under the law. And you're absolutely right. But Jesus said our righteousness was to exceed that of the Pharisees, not mm. dodge it. So the early church was all Jews. And they still tied to the temple. But then they also tied to the church. And then they also, on top of that, gave to special needs like uh, the, the Grecian widows in the very early church or Paul's uh, famine relief fund for Palestine. So when we talk about tithing as just 10% off the top, that's a low bar. <laughs> and mm. Christians today think that's some sort of spiritual um, high bar, uh, high jump or something. But no, that's a starting place. That's a low bar. And I'm a firm believer that we have to give and we have to give generously and, and without trying to hold on to it. You know, the, the early tithe was agrarian. They would ask, um, is there, um, I, I just saw the thing about prayer. I'll come back to that. Because right. um, that doesn't say pray for yourself. I prayed for many other people to be healed. Um, anyway, they <laughs> would tithe by, by estimating what their crops are going to be. And the first 10% would go to the temple. Now, if their crops were not that much, they didn't go back to the temple and say, give me a refund. Hmm. You know, that was given to God and it stayed there. But if they had underestimated um, and the crop was more than what they thought, then they would make up the rest of the tithe and bring it to the temple. And that was before they gave offerings. Offerings was above and beyond tithe. See? So I'm a strong believer in the top 10% goes to the Lord. When I was preaching, um, there were people who would say to me, you know, it's a little disingenuous considering your salary comes out of that. And I, I started in ministry about the same time as the big televangelists were outed for their opulent lifestyles back in the early 70s, mid 70s. Yeah. So like many of my cohort, I was always scared to teach tithing until uh, really about 15 years ago when I started focusing on the essentials. And at that time, I just started offering to the congregation, here, here's something to do. If you think that this is about me trying to get money for this church, then I dare you start tithing because you already know it's, it's something that God wants. And it's a way of understanding that everything we have comes from him. But don't write the check to us. Write the check to a different church and we'll deliver it for you. No questions asked. Do you believe in that? I'm sorry. It's just this is on my heart. Like, let's say you you go to a church that's very wealthy. I mean, got a lot of money and they do ministry, but they're doing they got a lot. Do you do you give that tithe to a different ministry that's maybe 
you know, you feel in your heart that they're really hurting and they need the work or you just give that to your church regardless? Well, in the first place, I'm a, I'm a believer in the local church. Honestly, I think the local church should be doing what I'm doing, but I don't see it happening. So I'm doing it. <laughs> and I see myself as an adjunct to the local church. So ideally, we give to the local church and the local church then funds these things. But if you're, if you're giving to a church that really does have a lot of money and you think they don't really need your money, then my suggestion is then do one of two things. <laughs> Either find a church that needs you more. Um, and I'm not suggesting go leave your church. I'm just saying there's a lot of different churches and all of us are serving the Lord. But another way of doing it is very simple is to simply go to the leadership of the church and say, you know, I see this need and I don't see it being met. And I, I, I see so much in this church so how would you feel about me doing this? Mm. Now, I got to tell you, I know churches where that have, I know mega churches that have way more money and they know what to do with that have said, absolutely not. I've seen it happen the last year because I teach people to do this. Um, but I've also seen many of them that have said, you know what? We're behind you. 100% we're behind you. In fact, sometimes that even leads the body itself to look at that need and then it's not just me giving to it. it. It's combined resources, and we're able to do a better job of it. Wow, that's that answers it. All right, number seven. Number seven is sharing your faith. Now, sure. usually when that. we talk about making disciples, we skip straight to evangelism. And I, I get it, but there is a problem with that, um, not the least of which is most people don't have a clue what they're doing. I, I was told as soon as I came to the Lord, I should go out and witness. I didn't know what that word meant. You know, what do you mean? Well, give your testimony. It's like, you know, what am I? I'm Perry Mason. What is this? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm 16 years old. This made no sense to me. And so, you know, we need to be teaching our people, not systems of things, but just making sure they understand their faith and they understand how they came to the Lord and then say, look, be willing to talk about what God is doing in your life. And I don't target non-Christians. Sometimes Christians need to hear what's going on in our lives to encourage each other. And that allows me then, if somebody asks me about my faith, to be able to just start talking and not sit back and, okay, Lord, are they Christian? Are they not Christian? Do I go down this road? Do I go down this road? No, I just share the glories of God. This, this is what happened in Acts 2. And they're going to do an interesting thing. I have found, and, and people are going to be freaked about this, so just bear with me. <laughs> Parents, how many of you enjoyed the sex talk with your kids? And the answer right now is very, very few. Okay, I mean, I, I taught sex education um, as part of my, my job at one point. And I still didn't like doing that. It's, it's awkward, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. we make it awkward. And it's just like sharing our faith. We make it awkward by trying to dump everything and then try to close the deal like we're salesmen or something. Jesus actually told people to go away because they weren't ready. He didn't try to close deals. He allowed the spirit 
to bring people at the right time. So what I found is like once I was in a barber chair and, you know, there's all the, the screens of uh, sports on and my barber uh, was, she says, um, so did you do sports when you were a kid? And I said, uh, yeah, I did. That was it. So then she, she asked another question. Well, what, what did you do? And I said, well, actually, I was uh, in judo. I was training for the Olympics, in fact, when I was a teenager in judo. And she says, wow, that's really cool. So you're one of those guys that could go out and kill people. And I said, no, absolutely never. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I left the martial arts when I came to the Lord. Because I don't believe, and I get, you can disagree with this. It's not a test of fellowship. But I don't believe that martial arts, which means war arts, fits well with the Prince of Peace. I used to, I used to specialize in strangling people and tearing their arms apart. And the Lord just convicted me. There's something wrong with that. So I just told her that. Again, I, I stopped. Silence. And then she says, I've never heard anybody say that. You, 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 your faith says you can't do that? And I said, well, my faith is Christianity. And I serve the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Mm. And then she kept asking questions. See? So I had the opportunity to share with her and to share the gospel. I've done the same thing with my disease. People, you know, when I was told that I had terminal cancer, it was in Red Robin in Orange. Uh, I was in the lobby. I'm on the phone and my nephrologist calls me and says, I'm sorry to tell you this way, but I need to make an appointment very fast. Get this thing going. So um, so I'm, I'm repeating. So I've got what? And okay, it's it's terminal. And I look up and there's this young girl about maybe 21, um, six feet from me. She's the hostess, the one that seats people. And she's just turned white as a sheet because she's hearing all this. And she says, that doesn't sound good. And I said, you know what, it's okay. And she said, well, what was it? And she started asking questions. And it gave me the opportunity right then and there to say, hey, you know this Christianity stuff? I believe that, <laughs> so I'm okay. You know, I'm not jazzed about it, but I'm okay. And it blew her away. So wow. we, we don't have to strategize and take the Holy Spirit's responsibility. All we have to do is know what, the God, what God is doing in our lives and, and be willing to tell people. Amen. Amen. We need we to have you back, back uh, Dr. Back Randy. Back. But uh, what, what can people... Learn more Learn about more the Essential Faith Project. Um, well, the, the easiest is to go to my website or our website, which is www.essentialfaithproject.org. And on that, you will hear, for example, about a spiritual health assessment. That is our biggest project. It's available as an online tool. And uh, it allows you to take an assessment and find out where each of these essentials are in your life. And then, by the way, it allows you to do that as a couple as well. So you do it and your wife does it. Maybe both of you are strong in prayer, but do you ever pray together? See, the, the difference of a Christian marriage over a secular marriage 
isn't that it's made up of Christians. It's that in the Christian marriage, there's prayer, there's worship, there's study, there's service together. If those aren't there, divorce, abuse, uh, dissatisfaction are just as common in so-called Christian marriages. So we're able to measure spiritual health. Um, and it's not putting a label on you. I will never do that. It's simply reflecting what you've said, answering questions and saying, well, this is where you are. And by the way, if you're a church leader or you have influence with one, churches can register with us for free. And then when people in the church sign up, they can say, yes, let my church have this data. With or without their names, they get to choose. And all of the data can go to the church. So um, maybe the church has 100 people that takes the assessment. Now they can see not just individually, but as a body, where are we? You know, maybe, well, we're really strong in prayer, but we're not, we're not where we should be with uh, service. So we need to be making that something that we teach and train our people so that we can mature them, build them up. Um, there is a book available on the website, but also Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, whatever, called The Essentials of Spiritual Health um, by Randy Christian. And it just goes into each of these in more depth. Um, it's also available on the Kindle version. Um, the second book is due out in about two months. Um, it's called The Everyday Disciple. And it just takes a number of the, of the issues that we struggle with and talks about how do we live those out faithfully to the Lord. Um, we have a number of other resources, like an online class on how to study the Bible, which I mm. strongly recommend. Right now, it's only $9 for six, uh, I say six week. I mean, you can do them every night if you want, but a six-hour series um, of videos and uh, study guides. And uh, by all means, if something isn't clicking let me know because I would be happy to um, consult with uh, churches um, or for that matter with individuals to the extent that I'm able. That is awesome. Let me ask you this last question and I'd love to have you back on the show. How after the pandemic, a lot of people lost touch with churches and they're looking for a new church. Yes. What do you look for in a new church? If you want to attend uh, a Funny good Bible teaching. All my life. I've gone to a church because they hired me. And a couple of years ago, for the first time in 45 years, Donna and I twice had to find a church. Hmm. Because when we first left North Orange, we, we found a church in Southern California. Just in time to realize that we couldn't afford to live there anymore. So we moved to Texas. And then we had to find one here. So I've actually gone through that recently. Number one, most important, is, is Jesus Lord. Are, mm -hmm. Do these folks understand that they belong to Jesus? Not a political party, not a cause, not, um, not anything else that's going to be done away with, but Jesus. Number two, are they teaching the word? If they're not teaching the word, because so many of us aren't at a point where we can do this ourselves yet. If they're not teaching the word, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So now I mean, almost every church is going to say they do that, but we have to be discerning. Are they really teaching the word? 
Okay. I'm sorry. I saw. I just saw the uh, website up there. It is dot org. Not. Dot oh, org. sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Let's, yeah. Okay. Um, Let me correct. Three, are they open to me serving? Is there is there a place I can serve, or are they a church that's basically saying no? Just come and let us do for you. Service is so essential to our spiritual health that if there's no place for me to serve, then I don't belong there. And you know, again, you would think this is obvious, but I can I can testify not every church does that. Um, right. Are they actually worshiping God is really important. There's a big difference between putting on a show and worshiping. And yeah. I've been part of, of a mega church. And I've been part of a church of 100. So I get it, both, both sides of that and, and in between. But we've got to be very, very careful because it's so tempting to enjoy being entertained. <laughs> and I mean, I, I get it. We had at one point some of the best musicians in the country at North Orange Christian Church. And when we decided to, to really get serious about discipleship, we we fired him. And mm. because everybody was so impressed with their musicianship that it overrode the expression of worship for people. So we had to go back to a, a lesser standard. So it wasn't everybody staring at the platform and just watching a show. Um, there's a lot of other things, type of music and things like that. I got to be honest with you. I hate certain kinds of music. I'm, I'm living outside of Fort Worth, and I know I'm going to get jammed for this. I, I don't like country. I could, oh, I do not. <laughs> I call it pointy boot music. and It just makes my flesh crawl. I grew up with it. Um, my parents are both from Appalachia. And boy, you know, I, I had that in one ear, out the other from birth. But the church that I worship with now, our worship leader clearly is from Texas. <laughs> and he sings that way, he plays that way. You know, if, if you can't worship God because of a type of music, then maybe you need to back up and ask what you think worship is. Mm. Because I can worship God if it's opera, which I really hate. Um, sorry if, if I offend anybody out there. Or back to, you know, the the old style Jesus music, which is my, that's my thing. Um, but I can worship God in any of that. Now, I've got preferences, and if everything else is equal, I'll choose the one I like the best. But it's way more important that I be able to serve, that there's scripture being taught. Um, that that the essentials are present in the church. So um, I got to say, it's not always easy, but do not fall into the trap of looking for a perfect church, especially if you left one somewhere else that you really loved, because you're not going to find it. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't, it, you, you can't recreate what you already have or had. In fact, if you go back a year later, you're going to find they're not that anymore either because the body is dynamic. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Randy. I want to do a show with you, things that take Dr. Randy Christian off, and then we can go hours on that. I know that. 
<laughs> I love yeah. you. Thank you so much for your time. And please you, send brother. my love you. to Donna. Please, when you come to California, you can buy me coffee again. You always He always pays for my coffee. Uh, I would love to hang out with you again and just pour my heart to you again. I love you. I love and, you. and praying that, uh, you know, uh, Satan wanted to kill you right before God gave you that essential faith project that really going to encourage and lift up churches and individuals so i truly believe that that the lord kept you and you know alive today for that purpose too amen thank you so much for your time dr randy and by the way you have not he's a very handsome blonde hair he has a lot more hair than i do <laughs> and hence yeah so a good looking man so you can look well, him up we, on if, the essential faith project then maybe you can lay hands on the electronic system and make it work huh I will next time, but I, I don't pray for that myself. Uh -huh, I pray for I'm others, for others' computers. I see what you mine. did there. <laughs> I love you. Thank you, Pastor Dan, uh, Randy. Dr. Randy Christian is with us. Thank you so much for your time. Good night. Good night. All right. For you guys listening, just to be faithful to our sponsor, uh, you again, I told you I use these professional botanical vitamins. They are not. Uh, a lot of physicians use those. Those are not your, uh, you know, GNC or Costco. These are uh, stem cell. They have enzymes to make you actually dissolve these vitamins. So your body uses all of it. Really worked for me. If you want some energy, if you want to just know edginess, you want clarity, you want, uh, you know, it, it works on every part as adaptives into your body. So if you want to get those, they gave me this website link that personal that can give you a discount on these. So it's called stemcellwellnesskit.com, but put forward slash Nazareth. And once you order them, if they put shipping, you put Nazareth and you get free shipping. That's what they're doing for me for now. So I appreciate that. I'm using it myself. I just ordered my second month. So I really think they work. All right. I'll see you guys if you are a fan of our Live with Naz, or you want to watch our show Live with Naz in about an hour and a half at 8.30 p.m., no, less than an hour, and 8.30 p.m. Pacific time on uh, Facebook under Comedian Nazareth. We're going to laugh for 53 minutes and then take your prayer request and pray for you. Love you guys. Thank you so much for watching episode 100. Please subscribe and ask your friends to subscribe as well. God bless you and good night.